Morning. If we've not met, I'm Pastor Dan Haffey, the pastor of discipleship here. And if we have met, I'm still Pastor Dan, pastor of discipleship here at Grace. So welcome this morning. How many of you took music lessons when you were little? Anybody? My mother forced me to take piano lessons. Thank you. Sad story. I had an old school piano teacher. She used to take my fingers and curl them because apparently I didn't have the right uh, setting on the piano. And she would say things like, repetition aids learning. You heard that one? How about this one? Practice makes perfect. I wouldn't know. I didn't practice. <laughs> but I do believe here we need to continue to practice and review so that we can internalize what we need to know about what this church is about and what God wants us to do in terms of discipleship. So what I'd like to do now is for us to say together our vision statement. It will be on the screen behind me and also up here on the wall on your right. So if you will say this with me, that would be great. And we'll do this twice. We exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. One more time. We exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. I also want to review the two scriptures that we're using as foundations for our discipleship vision. First, starting out with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's on the screen behind me here. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's note that that's for all of us, right? Is there an asterisk there that gives anybody an out? If we're disciples of Christ, we are to follow the Great Commission and make more disciples. Now on to Matthew 4.19. Matthew 4.19 says this, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This verse describes perfectly the process of discipleship. First, I must choose to follow. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to do that with my intellectual facilities. I need to do it with my will. I do it with my head. And then he will transform my heart. He will make me into a true disciple who loves him and seeks him. And then out of that transformed heart, I will use my hands to be on mission with him by bringing the good news to the world and making disciples who make more disciples. So when you see that transition, head, heart, and hands. That's what we want to be about here. Now, as Pastor R said, we are in a series called Be Intentional. So we're, you're going to hear the word intentional a lot. You're going to be tired of it by the time I get done here today, but I hope you'll remember it. So let me ask you something. What do you think of when you hear the word intentional? Say again? Planned on doing it. Planned on doing it. What else? On purpose. What else? Deliberate. You guys are good. You're, you're a thesaurus. Thank you. You guys are really good. It means all those things. It means not random. Intentional means I did it on purpose. I meant to. It was deliberate. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, how to be intentional in our discipleship, how to be intentional in our walk with the Lord, and how to be intentional, intentional in making disciples. So I've got some questions for you. And I like to use 10-point scales. Anybody else like 10-point scales? That's okay, I'm the one talking, so I get to decide what the scale is, right? 10-point <laughs> scale on intentionality. Number one means you are never intentional. You're just like totally random, and whatever happens, happens, and it's just so unstructured. And 10 means you are always 
intentional. Everything you do is intentional when it comes to your walk with the Lord and your relationship with Him. So I want you to rate yourselves on a scale of 1 to 10 as I ask you these questions. Hold on to those numbers too. You'll need them later. Number one, are you intentional in being a disciple of Jesus? In your head, come up with a number. Are you thinking of a number? I can read your minds. I'm seeing a lot of threes. <laughs> or maybe that's mine. All right, next question. Are you intentional in growing in Christ? Are you intentional in growing in Christ? Put a number on that. Got a number? Next question. Are you intentional in your relationships? Got a number there? And last, are you intentional in making disciples? I hope you put a number on each one of those. We'll come back to that later. Well, I know two gentlemen, good friends of mine, who were very intentional in developing their relationship. So I want to share a video clip here of two of these guys, Ken Fowler and John Rhoda. Ken is on the left, John is on the right. I want you to hear their story. Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Dan Haffing. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Grace. I'm here with two of my good friends to share their story of how they developed an intentional discipleship relationship. So here we have Ken Fowler on his right. We have John Rhoda. So, John, may I start with you. Um, how did this relationship with Ken begin? Uh, this relationship happened uh, probably about three years ago. Um, Ken and I knew each other kind of casually. Uh, we had been to different functions together and so forth, but uh, just about two, two and a half years ago, I had a serious accident, uh, which ended up in a prolonged hospital stay. And that's where Ken really came on and came alongside me, spent a lot of time visiting me in the hospital and later on during my recovery. So he was really intentional in how he developed the relationship? Oh, definitely. He came in in the hospital early on when I was heavily medicated and didn't even know he was there with me, mm -hmm. uh, would come in weekly to pray with me and just hold my hand and just be with me. So Kim, what was that like for you? Um, I was sort of out of, my, out of my element. I'm not much of a hospital guy, but uh, God had laid on my heart um, one night, John attended a class that I had led on uh, My Hope with Billy Graham, mm -hmm. and uh, we had developed a conversation and that night, God just uh, said to me, um, this man is really seeking the Lord because here's a guy who's working down the road, he's super busy, yet he takes time to come up to a, to a class. And uh, from that point, I just felt that God was leading me to be part of John's life. So you saw something in John that showed you he would be a good potential disciple maker. I saw that John was seeking the Lord, and then as our disciple shift took place, um, the Lord laid more in my heart that John would be a great disciple maker. So John, how have your views on what discipleship means changed through this process? Oh, it's changed drastically. Uh, early on, <clears throat> before this started, I was always said I was just too busy for discipleship. I also thought discipleship was something good for other people. Mm -hmm. it was, you needed a older, seasoned Christian and, mm -hmm. and a young child slash infant Christian and that type of thing would work out um, 
not that I'm overly seasoned, but I'm obviously not a child or an infant in the, in the Christian walk. I've been walking with the Lord for a while, but meeting Ken, um, we just hit off in a real strong personal relationship and just uh, made me realize discipleship is for everybody. So how have each of you grown through this relationship? For me, um, it's just been an opportunity just to watch. Um, I've said this before to other men. It's been an opportunity to watch uh, growth. And then in watching John grow, he's challenged me to a new level almost on a weekly basis as we met. Um, sometimes just some of the insights into the scripture we're reading were just phenomenal from John's standpoint and challenged me to, 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 to develop a, a more deeper spiritual walk. What I love about the story of these two men is how intentional they were in developing the relationship and how they worked together and had fun together and opened the scriptures together and they've both grown through it. And it doesn't have to be the same way that these guys do it, but we want everybody to have the opportunity to grow together in a relationship so we can become spiritual parents who make disciples. Thank you, John and Ken, for sharing your story with us. I hope you caught that intentionality there. Ken was very intentional, and John was very intentional, and that's what we would like to see all of us have in our discipleship relationship. All right, this morning, we're going to look at the transformational part of Matthew 419. That's the I will make you. Our focus is going to be on intentional relationships and intentional growth. These two things go together. We intentionally grow when we're in intentional relationships. So turn with me, if you would, over to Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. We're going to be hanging out there, coming back to it frequently. So I want you to have that on your electronic device, or if you want a hard copy, we've got Bibles for you. I think they already came around. I've got three big questions for you this morning. Big question number one is, why should I grow spiritually? Why should I grow spiritually? You might say to me, Pastor Dan, I intentionally got up this morning. I intentionally came to church. I'm intentionally sitting here. What do you want from me? What is all this about growing up? Why is it so important? In a minute, I'm going to offer you four reasons why I think we need to grow. But before we do that, I want to talk about what it actually means to grow. And it's very close to what it is, what it means to grow physically. At some point in time, you did not exist. Is that true? Work with me, people. You were, may have been a gleam in your mama's eye, but you did not exist. And then you were conceived, and you were birthed, and you became an infant. Anybody remember being an infant? No, you don't. Nobody remembers being an infant. But then you become a child. Then you might remember. became a child, and we became an adolescent, and we became a young adult. We kept growing up until we were fully grown. We weren't going to get any higher. We might get a little wider, but I, I didn't get any higher. I stopped growing. That's physical growth. Now, all I needed to do that is to be taken care of and be given the basics of life, air, water, food, and be taken care of, and I grew. The difference between that and spiritual growth is that spiritual growth has to be intentional. It does not happen by itself. It must be intentional. So let's talk about what spiritual growth looks like. At some point in your life, you were spiritually dead. You had no relationship with God. You didn't care about God. You may have known something about him but you were not spiritually alive. And you came to a point where you accepted Christ as your Savior. You came to life. He gave you life, a new life. 
and you became a spiritual infant. We've all been there. So spiritually, I was a spiritual infant. And then if I get what I need to grow further, I can become a spiritual child. By the way, what are children characterized by? Anybody? Any parents here? They're self-centered, aren't they? It's all about them. You probably noticed that. So children are self-centered, and what do they need? Children need to be connected with something bigger than themselves so they find out there is something bigger than me. To be connected with a church, to be in a small group, to understand that there are others out there who need things and to work past their own childishness and give up what they want and be able to see the needs of others. So then they become a young adult. And a young adult is characterized by passion and enthusiasm for working for God. They've gotten over themselves, and now they want to go do something for God, but sometimes they lack a little focus. How many of you had teenagers that they want to do something, but they're just not sure where to put all their energies? But they got a lot of energy, more energy than I had. So they want to do something for God, so they need someone to disciple them into that. And then the very end, and this is where God wants all of you to be, every last one of you, he wants you to become a spiritual parent. Now, please note that I didn't say spiritual adult. Why didn't I say spiritual adult? I didn't say spiritual adult because spiritual adults don't necessarily reproduce. I said spiritual parent because our work here is to make disciples, to reproduce, to birth new disciples who then themselves birth new disciples who birth other disciples. It's multiplication, not addition. So to be a spiritual parent means to reproduce. So there is the whole, uh, whole journey of spiritual growth. And I don't know where each of you are at, but you are somewhere in there. God knows where you're at. You might know where you're at. Sometimes we think we're here, but we're actually here. But I want you to hear what that's like so you can understand that there is a growth process that God wants us to go through. And it's got to be intentional. Being a Christian a long time does not make you spiritually mature. Is that true? That's true? So if I'm a member of this church for 14 years, does that mean I'm grown up spiritually? No? Let me, let me tell you something I noticed. I belong to a local gym, and I have noticed that if I don't intentionally go there and intentionally get on an exercise machine, intentionally do something, that I don't get in better shape. Just because I belong to it doesn't make me get in better shape. I have to intentionally go there and do the work, correct? And God's not interested in our spiritual credentials. Did you know that? It doesn't matter to him whether I've been to seminary or not. It doesn't matter to him how long I've been part of this church. It doesn't matter to him how long I've been a follower of Christ. What he wants is to see me grow up. And there are places where credentials don't matter either. There was a Montana farmer, and an FBI agent came to his farm one day and said, I want to look for illegal drugs on your property. And the old farmer goes, okay, just don't go in that field. And the FBI agent goes, apparently you don't understand. I have the full authority of the federal government behind me. And he pulls out his badge and puts it in his face and says, I can go anywhere I want to, anytime I want to, and I will ask any questions I want to, and you will get no answers from me. And the old rancher goes, okay. He went back to his chores. Two minutes later, you hear the FBI agent screaming bloody murder at the top of his lungs, screaming for help, and you look out in the field, and here's the rancher's bull coming at him five feet away and gaining. He's running for his life. And the rancher goes over the fence, and yells to him really loud, show him the badge, show him the badge. <laughs> All right, I get it. That was tangential to my sermon, but I had to say that one. <laughs> we better press on. 
All right, number one reason for growing, God instructs us to grow. Listen to 2 Peter 3.18. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then there's Hebrews 6.1a. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings of Christ and be taken forward to maturity. 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants, but in your thinking be adults. And now we're back to our primary text here in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. I'm going to read through this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what's Paul saying to us here? He's saying that Christ himself has given spiritual gifts to the body, this body. Everything we need, every spiritual gift we need in body here at Grace Community is right here. And the purpose of those spiritual gifts is for us to build each other up so that we become unified and mature and look more and more like Christ. And so that we're not infants getting blown around, banging around like BBs in a boxcar and being thrown here and there. So we don't want to be infants. Instead, by speaking the truth and love to one another, we grow up into Christ, so we look more and more like Christ, and that's the way the whole body works together in concert. Every piece, every part doing its thing. That's what Paul's saying to us here. So it's all about an intentional maturity. It's about spiritual gifts. By the way, uh, everybody know what their spiritual gift is? Nobody has any spiritual gifts? All right, we'll get back to that in a minute. All right, so we also need to grow. Number two, we also need to go because we need protection from our enemy. Let me tell you, our enemy is not ISIS. Our enemy is not the Democrats or the Republicans. Our enemy is the devil himself and his minions. And let me be clear, his minions aren't yellow and wear goggles. These guys are evil, and they are after you, and they prey on the immature and the vulnerable. And if you don't grow up spiritually, they will take you out. Now, I don't know how or what you believe about spiritual warfare, but I believe in spiritual warfare. So I want you to hear what it says here in 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert in a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's after you. And we're going to need something very, very powerful to protect ourselves. So listen to Ephesians 6.10-18. He says, Or finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on. Intentionally, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But then he says here again, Therefore, put on, intentionally, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith 
with which you will be able to distinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Then you put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm pretty well protected, aren't I? But let me observe with you here. It says you have to put it on. If it's laying there, it's not going to help you. And you have to put it on regularly. You don't put it on once and it's on forever. We take stuff off, don't we? I'm good. Don't worry. I don't need this helmet. Yeah? When my kids were younger, we were Nazis about them wearing helmets. You know why? Because even if they didn't think they needed helmets when they were riding their bikes or when they were riding their motorcycles, I knew what head trauma looked like. And even if they thought they were invincible and that would never happen to them, I knew something. It could happen to them. And I remember being the same way with my parents. They made me wear a helmet too. Because you need to be protected. If it's not on, it won't protect you. We need to put on the full arm of God because you're going to need it to deal with this Satan and his forces of evil. Number three, suffering will test our maturity. Is that true? Stuff happens? It does. Listen to this. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. It's part of the deal. Anybody ever skated? Nobody skates. You know, I find it interesting. Sometimes you read things about celebrities and people that have more money than I'll ever see or have status, and bad stuff happens to them too, you know? That's that fallen world we're living in. We, we don't escape those. James 1.2 says, however, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So as much as we don't want to experience trials and tribulations and suffer in this world, number one, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Let me read this to you from the paraphrased version of the message. It says this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests challenge and challenges come from you at all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let, its work, let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now, how many of you guys just love going through trials and tribulations? Just can't get enough? Like, got something else for me, Lord? That's not how I feel about it. But this is a critical piece of it. When he says, when you're suffering, if you want to grow up, you need to embrace it. What are you talking about? Embrace trials? Embrace suffering? What are you, nuts? It says it right here. It needs to complete its work. Sometimes we try to duck out of stuff, don't we? Take shortcuts? Try to get out of trials when they come? Blame somebody else? Not deal with it? How about feeling sorry for yourself? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, I have, I've, I've had pity parties. Pity parties are one. Just me. Just feeling bad. <clears throat> All those things are shortcuts. When I try to take a shortcut, I'm going to miss out on what God's got for me in growing through that because our response to trials is what makes the difference. It will make or either make us better or it will make us bitter. And you don't want to be bitter. Let that trial do its work. Don't try to get out of it prematurely. Number four, spiritual maturity brings stability and security. When we are anchored in the truth of God's word in our relationships, we are moored to what will not allow us to move. 
Listen to Ephesians 4, 4. It says, when, and that is when we are grown up, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here with every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Those infants are not moored. Every time someone comes along with a good idea, oh, they're all about that. And then another teaching comes along, and they follow that person because they are not anchored to truth. They're not grown up enough. How many of you remember being teenagers and watching TV? Every time a commercial came on, I wanted that. And every time the next commercial came on, I wanted that. And right after that, I wanted that other thing, too. I was all over the place. I'm sure my parents got tired of hearing, I want that. That's cool. I want one of those. I was a child. I wanted everything. I would follow whatever was going on, whatever was the latest and greatest. And that's not where God wants us to be, because infants and children are helpless and vulnerable, and they wander off and get in trouble. Is that true? <clears throat> one of the scariest things for a parent of toddlers to hear is silence. That means there's something going down. And you may not know what it is, but it's probably going to cost you money and destroy your house. So you better pay attention when there's silence going on. Before I had children, I used to see parents in the mall, and they had their children on a leash, like my dog. That used to bother me. I get it now. I get it now. Yeah. We found out how it works. Anyone you had a kid that was a runner? You know, you turn them loose and they're just gone. That's why we need leashes. Because they didn't know what kind of trouble they can get into. And spiritually, we can't afford to be immature because there's all kind of trouble waiting for us. We're going to get ourselves in trouble. We are going to run amok. All right, here's big question number two. You ready? You got to say ready or I'm not going on. Thank you. Big question number two, what do I need to grow spiritually? What do I need to grow spiritually? I need to be equipped. If I'm in a battle against the evil one, I better get some equipment. There's no good soldier to go out into battle without having his equipment, without having his defenses on, without having his offensive weapons. So the good news is that Christ gave us spiritual gifts. He gave us gifts to this body, Ephesians 4.11. So, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip us for works of service. So in this body, we have a whole lot of spiritual gifts. Anybody know what their spiritual gift is? What's your spiritual gift? Teaching. We got a teacher right here. Anybody else? Nobody else has a spiritual gift? Encouragement. Encouragement. That's a good one. Thank you. What else? Service. Service. We have servers among us. Anything else? What's that? Patience? Yeah. That's a good one. I don't think I have that one. Uh, my spiritual gift is, is sarcasm. No, that's not a spiritual gift, is it? But he's given us spiritual gifts to equip us. And what I'm saying to you is we have everything we need in this body to grow and be built up, like it says in Ephesians. We got everything. He's given us everything. Some of you who don't know what your spiritual gift is, I would strongly encourage you to sign up for our place spiritual gifts inventory. How many of you have been through our place? P-L-A-C-E? Not sure what it stands for anymore, but as a spiritual gifts inventory, it'd be really important that you know what your spiritual gift is so you can be serving in this body with that spiritual gift. If you'd like to be involved with that, please call a church office and they'll get you connected with someone that will take you through that. We do it online now, so you don't even have to come to class. We'll do it online with you. All right, the Word of God equips us. Is that true? 
2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly, what? Equipped. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need those disciplines of Bible reading, prayer, and meditation so that we can internalize this truth and be equipped to deal with the trials and tribulations that we're going to face in this life. And you better take it in here. I'll tell you another reason we need to internalize the Word and memorize it is because the Holy Spirit needs something to work with. I can think of many times in my life walking with the Lord when the perfect verse came at the perfect time. But you know, it was already there because I knew that one. And the Holy Spirit brings it here and reminds me of God's truth. You need to internalize His Word, memorize His Word, so you have it. And so the Holy Spirit can use it to help you, to encourage you, to comfort you, to even convict you when that's time. So we need to know what our, uh, we need to know that the Word of God will do that. So here, listen to, um, uh, okay, let me say this. But when you want, if we want to grow up, we have to be open to what the Word says. Is that true? If I just read the Word and go, mm, okay, that was nice, done for the day. Listen to James 1, 23 or 25. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is someone who looks, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently, that is intentionally, into the perfect law, that's the scriptures, that give freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed for what they do. So many times, guys, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, I'll look at Scripture, and rather than letting it reflect back who I am and who God is, I just look at it and walk away and forget about it. And let me tell you, this isn't funhouse stuff. When I look into Scripture, I don't see distortions. When I look into Scripture, I see exactly who I am because the mirror of the Word of God is perfect. It will show me who I am if I'm willing to see myself. But sometimes that's not very pretty, is it? Anybody ever looked in the mirror and gone, whoo, where'd that come from? Especially in the morning. We don't always like what we see. Or maybe I look in the mirror and I see, man, what's that big old log going through the middle of my eye? Man, ah, whatever. I'm out of here. It only works if we allow it to be a mirror, allow it to reflect back. So we must look intently into the Word of God and not forget it and do it, not just look and leave. All right, what else do we need? We need relationships. We need community. Is that true? We need each other. Did you know that? All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. And then I want the person there to turn to you and say, I need you. Come on, you got look eye. Look eye, Daniel, son. Look at each other. Say it. Say it. I need you. Say it. Say it to anybody. Say it. I need you. Isn't that great? That's the truth. I don't really even have to like you, but I need you. We need each other. That's what it's saying here. We've got to, to, to have each other in our lives. We are not made to be lone rangers, if anybody even knows what that is. We need battle buddies. John and Ken needed each other, and they built a relationship because they need each other. We need each other for accountability, yes? I need you for encouragement. Whoever had the, uh, the gift of encouragement, come talk to me. I could use a little. Okay? I could use a lot of what you guys have. I don't have all your gifts. I may have one or two, but I need your gifts. We need each other, period. We've got to have each other. No lone rangers. We have small groups too, don't we? Isn't that cool? 
I'll tell you, I praise God for everything I hear about and see in my small groups. I'm part of two of them. I just can't get enough. I just think these real-life discipleship groups are the best thing ever because it is the most authentic, safe place that I've ever been. And if you're not part of a real-life discipleship small group, I would encourage you, sign up. Go try it out. See if I'm right about that. Man, I love my group. And you know what? We have a Facebook page, and they talk to me all week long, and they talk about blessings, and they talk about stuff that's going on, and I tell them what's going on. If we got a prayer request, boom, it's there. And I know between group meetings that they're praying for me, and I'm praying for them. Community. We need relationship. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another along toward good love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. How many times do you think the average Christian makes it to church? Give me a guess. Oh, you guys are afraid. How many times do you come to church? Get personal now, aren't I? Statistically speaking, the average Christian comes to church 1.6 times. I don't know how that six works. But that's averages, statistics, 1.6 times. A month, I'm sorry. Thank, thank you. Thank you. That, that, that's a day. That's really spiritual. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> no, no, that's spiritual might as well. 1.6 times a month. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think if I come 1.6 times a month, I might be missing out on something God's got for me? I'm going to miss you guys, too. Man, you guys are my people. I go out in the world, and there's things going on there that I don't relate to. Things there that I need to stay away from. I need to be with God's people. Now, I'm not picking on you guys, because I know I've missed Sundays. I go on vacation. I do things. But what I'm saying to you is let's not neglect being together. It is that important. This is where God wants to speak to you. All right, Romans 12, 4 to 5 says, For just as each of these of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. As in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to each other. We are all part of the same body. Did you know that? You all have a part in the body. You might be an eye. You might be a tooth. You might be an ear. You might be a leg. But we're all part of the same body, and all of us are needed for the body to function. All right, we need truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, one of my favorite passages ever. We need truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is ahead, that is Christ. It's only in these relationships that we grow. Paul is saying that his design for disciples is us for, for us to speak the truth and love to each other so that we grow up. Speaking the truth and love can only happen in the context of an intentional relationship. It has to be a safe relationship, doesn't it? It requires a safe relationship. First, I want you to notice the balance between truth and love. Every time in Scripture, when God uses two words, he balances them perfectly, and God balances love and truth perfectly in my life. He speaks to me, it's perfect love, it's perfect truth. The rest of us, not so much. We can get hung up on one side or the other, right? Sometimes I can be so truthful that I'm not loving, and you don't feel the love, and you're not going to listen to what I say, even if I've got something important to say to you. And you know what else? If I don't know you very well, and you come up to me and say, I want to tell you some of your faults, Pastor Dan, I'll listen to you, and then I might say thanks for sharing. You know why? Because I haven't got that level of relationship with you, that kind of safety where I know you love me. And that's why we have to be careful when we speak the truth in love to be sure we're doing it out of a heart of love. 
not because I just need to tell somebody they're messing up. That balance is critical. The balance is critical. We can be so loving we don't tell the truth. We can also be so truthful that we're hurtful. Did you know that? Anybody ever been hurt by the truth? Well, that's true. But it hurts me because I don't know if you love me. I don't know if you are telling me this because you love me. There's many things I love about my wife, Rachel. We've been married 34 years. You can give an applaud now. Yeah. Did you hear that, Rachel? That's for you. We've <laughs> been married 34 years. I love many things about her. One of the things I really, really love and value about her is that she is willing to speak the truth and love to this guy. And it starts something like this. I love you too much to not tell you this. The first thing I do is I put on my seatbelt. She's going to tell me something. But you know what? That has been a valuable source of my personal growth, and my wife is willing to look me in the eye and tell me the truth about me. And she has earned that right many, many times over. And I'll listen to her, even if it's hard. How many of you like being confronted with the truth? The truth can be painful, and yet without the truth, we will not grow. You can love me all you want to, and I'll feel warm and fuzzy, but please tell me the truth. God tells me the truth. We're to tell each other the truth. By the way, she's only done that twice in 34 years, and if you believe that, I've got a good real estate deal for you. So let me ask you guys, do you speak the truth in love to your spouse, to your family, to your small group? Do you have others in your life who speak the truth in love to you? Do you have anyone in your life who loves you enough to speak the truth to you? Are you teachable? Are you teachable? There is nothing worse than try to teach somebody who doesn't want to learn. Any teachers here? What's it like when you've got a room full of people who don't want to learn? And you want them to learn, but they don't want to learn. It doesn't work very well. Are you teachable? Are you willing to hear the truth from God and from someone who loves you enough to speak it into your life? Husbands and wives, do you speak the truth and love to each other? Do you believe that your mate has been put in your life to be used of God to help you mature, or do you think he put them there just to make you crazy? <laughs> Feel free to discuss that on the way home today. All right, big question number three, how will I know if I'm growing spiritually? How will I know if I'm growing? Well, it's an easy answer. There'll be evidence. There'll be evidence. Back in March, I told you guys about my redbud tree, and at that point, it hadn't bloomed, hadn't done anything. I thought maybe I got a dead tree. They sold me a dead tree. But by golly, here comes April, and it starts budding out a little bit and had some foliage. Now, it's not great. It's not the full tree it's going to be. But I knew then that it was alive because I saw the evidence of it. I saw the leaves come out. I said, that tree is alive. It's going to grow. It is growing. So there has to be evidence of transformation. We need to be living more and more and living and loving like Jesus. We need to be showing the fruits of the Spirit. Anybody know what the fruits of the Spirit are? Give me a couple. Faithfulness, got it, got it, okay. Gentleness, what's the last one? Why is that last? That should be first. That's the one I had the hardest time with. Are you showing more fruits of the Spirit? If I ask your family and your coworkers and the people in your small group, are you showing more of these fruits of the Spirit today than you were six months ago? If not, you're not growing. There should be evidence of this transformation. There should be evidence. We should be able to see it. 
Are you evidencing this growth? Are you moving through these stages of spiritual growth? Remember, infant, child, young adult, spiritual parent. Are you moving at any rate? It's not about perfection. Progress, not perfection. But are you growing? Are you moving? Can you say, I'm becoming less childlike and more young adult-like or more, more spiritual parent-like? I'm starting to reproduce. Can you say that? We need to grow. And then lastly, there will be unity with other believers. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then Ephesians 4.11-13 talks about us reaching the unity in the faith. So unity is a primary hallmark of mature people, of spiritually mature people. Why is that so important? Why is unity? God talks about unity all the time. Keep the unity in the bond of peace. Be unified. Be together, my brothers and sisters. My children, why does he talk about that so much? Because to be in unity means that I have given up all my personal preferences, all my petty little needs, and all my things that I think I should be in control of. And I get the big picture that we are one body, and we are to move together in concert to meet the mission that God's given us here in this church. And that's to make disciples. And we're unified at that level. You will see some amazing things happen. We need to grow up and be in unity. We also will see obedience <clears throat> to the commandment to make disciples. Spiritually mature people fully engage in, in disciple-making and obedience to the Great Commission in Matthew 4.19. So I hope that gives you a flavor of what it means to grow up and why we need to grow up. So I'm going to invite the praise band back up. I want you guys to close your eyes and just be still for me, will you? Please don't be thinking about what's for lunch. It'll be there. Nobody looking around. I want you to think through what I've asked you today. <clears throat> I don't want you to be that person who looks in the mirror and then forgets what they look like. I want you to be someone who looks in the mirror intently, looking to see who you are and where you are and where God wants to move you to. He didn't put us here to stay stagnant and not grow. He instructs us to grow. He's given us everything we need to grow. Our hearts need to grow to show our obedience to him. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions here, and I want you to think about them. I want you to think back to that number that was in your head earlier, whatever that number was. I don't know what it was. I don't need to know what it was, but let me ask you these questions. I want you to put them before God and ask him by his spirit to talk to you. Question number one, how intentional are you in your relationship with God? Are you growing? How intentional are you in your relationships with others? Are you speaking the truth in love? How intentional are you in being a disciple of Jesus? How intentional are you in making disciples who live in love like Jesus? So the praise band is going to play, and I want you to keep your eyes closed and your heads down. I want you to do some real work here. I want you to think about it. Look into that mirror that God will show you. If you want to see who you are and where you're at, he will show you. And then I'll be back up to pray to dismiss us.